Hello and welcome to Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and I am very excited to be telling you all about my new subscriber service. If you subscribe to Harmonious World, you will get a weekly email and you will get a monthly podcast episode that nobody else gets to hear. You will also get a shout out on the next episode after you subscribe. But more importantly, you'll be helping me to keep this podcast going and to keep getting some great guests. In your weekly email, you will hear all about some of the exciting guests I've got coming up. And in the monthly podcast, I will be giving you clips of some of the forthcoming artists so not just the ones that you're listening to at the time so I hope that sounds like an exciting prospect it's not a huge amount of money and I hope that you feel that you would like to join me so my first subscriber is Richard from the UK thank you Richard for subscribing but please do subscribe because it really will help me Now on to this week's episode. For this episode, I'm joined by composer and clarinetist Derek Burmel. His new album, Intonations, is out now, featuring music for string quartet, electric guitar, solo clarinet and solo violin. This is five world premiere recordings of works created by Derek and featuring some amazing musicians. What you're listening to now is Thracian Sketches. I hope you're enjoying it and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Hi Derek. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you for joining me for Harmonious World. I'm really grateful for your time. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about Intonations, this new album. Yeah, me too. That's great. Thanks for taking the time. These pieces were all written over quite a long period of time. So what made you suddenly bring them all together into one album? You know, so much of what we do in music is based on relationships. And so this is a really long-standing relationship, a friendship that I've had with individual members and the group of the Jack Quartet as a whole. And so I, you know, I tend to think as time goes on of these different albums that I've done as almost traces or, um, uh, you know, like log books of the relationships, uh, between me and some other musician or group of musicians, uh, group of artists. And uh, so I think what we were trying to do was to put together a document that showed that trajectory over a number of years. And that's, that's really what it ended up being. And in a way, almost like we were planning a concert and we wanted that concert to showcase the things that we could do together and the ways that we went through learning different things together. I'm fascinated by the arrangements, by the orchestration that you've got going on there, because there's nothing 
that's traditional about it is there there's you've got all sorts of not strange combinations but interesting combinations of instruments yeah probably the most traditional thing is the first thing that you hear on the album which is uh the string quartet right that's where it all starts and in a way i think that piece embodies a number of aspects of the of 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 our of our kind of journey together and uh, I think it's because the string quartet itself is is a very old institution um, of course at one time it was very young but uh, you know in Haydn's time but but now it, it feels like a almost like a, a hill that you have to climb it's as a, as a composer at least uh, part of that is because of the homogeneity of the ensemble um, and part of it is just that there are so many great string quartets out there. So you you hope to to put your mark there somewhere, but you don't really know. Um, so it's a it's a daunting task to write a string quartet. And I wrote that quartet specifically for them, um, as I wrote the clarinet quintet for them, also which we played together. So that was a different type of bonding experience. Um, and then I did this arrangement of the electric guitar quintet, I guess you'd call it, uh, Ritornello, for the, for the Jack Quartet also. Originally, it was written for Wieck, Heimans, the soloist, as a concerto uh, a string uh, with string orchestra. So I had to sort of kind of reduce it. I had to tighten it up a lot. And, um, and, and it's a, that's an interesting task in itself. But so all these were these different tasks that I did along with the Jack Quartet. It was along this journey that we had together over about 10 years, you know. Right. I'm, and I'm interested by the fact that you're a clarinetist, but you're fundamentally, this is not an album about your clarinet playing, is it? This is fundamentally a, a, an album of your compositions because you actually don't appear on it that much. Right. I guess I, if I had to divide myself up, I'd probably be 70% composer, 20% clarinetist, 10% other, I don't know, like mentor, teacher, whatever, uh, you know, writer. Sometimes I like to write about music. Every now and then I conduct. But it's it's really, um, I, I see myself primarily as a composer. And I imagine other people probably also see me that way. But it depends how they interact with me. Because I suppose there are people who think of me more as a clarinetist, like the people who play in the ensemble at the Copeland House since I play with, or if I played concertos with orchestras, they would think I was more of a clarinetist. But, you know, I think my profile is more of a composer and I've always approached my clarinet playing through the lens of being a composer. So I tend to play, choose to play new music. Um, and even when I play old music, uh, I, I, I do a, maybe a little bit of a twist on it. And incidentally, I'm just working on a project, just finishing up a project for Anthony McGill, the clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. And Anthony had asked me to arrange one of the Saint-Georges, Joseph Bologna concerti, uh, violin concerti for clarinet. So again, you know, he, he wanted me to do it because I'm a clarinetist, he knows me. And he's actually played my clarinet quintet uh, with the Jack Quartet, in fact. Um, but uh, but so, you know, he thinks of me as a composer who comes at things from a clarinet standpoint. So I think that's why he, he asked me to do that. And uh, and it's a great it's you know, it's 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 really transcription itself, whether you're transcribing your own work or somebody else's work. It's a really interesting 
process of getting into the work and trying to see how you can transform it from one state of being to another. It's like going from water to ice or something like that. Excellent. I've read your biog and things, and you've worked with Winton Marsalis. He's a yeah. The whole well, the whole Marsalis clan is interesting because they don't know where they fit in terms of classical and jazz and everything else. Um, you know, uh, that's fascinating. So, how did that happen, and what sort of things have you done with Winton Marsalis? Well. The big project I did with Winton was that I wrote a piece called Migration Series. And that was a work for jazz band and orchestra. And Winton was particularly interested in that because he himself has several pieces for orchestra that incorporate a jazz band uh, or a jazz orchestra within it. You know, so these, this group of about 17 players, usually, uh, you know, four trumpets, three trombones, five reed players, um, and then a rhythm section, usually of three or four. That's the general setup. That's like Duke Ellington or, you know, Fletcher Henderson, any of those great uh, big bands. And so I, um, so I wrote that piece for his band, plus the American Composers Orchestra, um, where at that time I was composer in residence. That was about 15 years ago. And we performed it at Jazz and Lincoln Center. And it was a lot of fun because, but it was also a puzzle because as Winton knew, because he's done this many times, um, trying to write, th there are a number of kind of contradictions in the way that the musicians uh, approach things. And so, uh, for example, the players in a, uh, to, get, to get the rhythmic kind of, uh, cohesion um, in an orchestra you look right in front of you as a conductor standing in front of you waving their arms well in a big band you know the conductor doesn't do much kind of one two one two three and walks up stage yeah. um, but in fact you get the rhythm from listening behind you so you're not only focusing a different sense but you're focusing that sense in a different direction so there are a number of things like that, some of which have to do with the nature of swing, which orchestras don't do so well. <laughs> and also just the nature of what you read, how much you read off the page and how much you bring your own interpretation and improvisation into that. So I think there's a lot of challenges built into that. And that's something that I explored in that scenario with, with the Jazz at Lincoln Center, with the orchestra, which Winton was, was playing in the premiere. And, um, and so I was very grateful for that opportunity to explore all those interesting contradictions, but also to try to find a way that those two groups could be complementary rather than working uh, against each other. And so that was what ultimately I think helped make the piece successful. But I, I also had to do a lot of tweaking along the way in order for that to be the case. I'm sure. I've I've done that a few times as I'm a sax player. I've done that a few times where I've worked in with that combination of a big band with us with a, a symphony orchestra, if you like. And oh, really? Yeah, wow. and it's and it's a challenge. And I'd never thought about it before. But you're you're absolutely right. That's what it is because I'm used to hear to to taking my cues from behind me, not from having somebody waving their arms around in front. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's these are all ways of 
being a musician that are, you know, come from different traditions. And so they, they expand, you know, I mean, when we talk about diversity, I suppose, you know, it's a very kind of cliched word now, but that's diversity in the best sense, because it's using all of our senses, all of our histories, you know, um, combined knowledge and bringing that to bear, uh, hopefully in a complementary way. The key as a composer is trying to figure out how to do that in a complementary way and not bring greater problems on everybody and expectations that are going to be not met. So right. I think that's, you know, that's just experience. And, yeah. um, and that, that's something that I don't know what music you played when you were, when you were doing that, but there are some really interesting pieces that, that some of which are, you know, grand failures, I would say, and yeah. some of which, you know, work pretty well. And, um, you know, everyone from Gunther Schuller to Sophia Gubaidulina, you know, they're really interesting experiments from all over the world. Um, and, and so I, I like to think, you know, uh, that uh, some of the, the, the really best uh, combinations were the, the Maurice Perez arrangement of Duke Ellington's Harlem, which works so beautifully. Yeah. Um, you know, and other, there are other, other such kinds of uh, combos. Now seems a good time to be playing an extract from Intonations, this three-movement work by Derek Bermel. And this is the second movement, Homily. And it's got that pitch bending, the blues, sort of slightly kind of, slightly out of tune. Oh, this is great. I hope you enjoy listening to this brief extract. I love those sort of things because they make you think in a different way. And as a musician, that's always a good thing. If you're thinking in a different way, you're much more in the moment because you have to be. Yeah. I mean, you want to try to energize the musician as a composer. I mean, you want to try to energize the musicians enough. You know, it's like a bell curve. Uh, it's like you want it to get to the point where they're working 
using all their the best parts of their musicianship, but not so much that they're getting fatigued and frustrated. Right. And so trying to get to that apex, and it's not one spot, it's a little bit like uh, quantum <laughs> physics, you know, it kind of escapes you like where that spot is, but you want to try to aim as close as you can to that spot so that you can find a, the, that, be near that place of maximum um, epiphany inspiration for the musicians, you know, cause they are your mouthpiece when, you know, cause when I play my music, okay, I can play it. And then it, it, it you know, it lives or dies with me, but when other people are playing it, I have to get them to that level. And that's part of the, the secret sauce of being a composer is trying to figure out the psychology of that. Yeah, fantastic. And, and of course, we're talking about like large ensembles, but on this album, it's much more about the, the intimate, the small relationships and we start off by talking about your relationships with with other musicians and and that really comes across this is not an album that where random people are just playing your music this is obviously something where people get it and then you've got you've understood them and i didn't realize that the, some of the music was composed for some of these people so well, that's the thing, you know, again, when you're, you know, it's one, if you're Beethoven <laughs> these days, if you're Beethoven, that you can get a lot of performances. Uh, and so you're not so worried that, well, one might not be so, so, so good. But let's even say if you're, if you're uh, a composer who's widely performed like John Williams or somebody, you know, that you, you, you know that, you know, you, you'll always get another performance. But most of us as composers, we don't know if this is going to be the last recording uh, right. or at least the last one for our lifetimes or at least for the next five, ten years um, of these pieces. So it's very important in a way. These This document is very important to me as a composer, and I always approach it that way in the process. So I try not to skimp on uh, thinking about how important that is uh, and and trying to arrange the whole process of recording in that way. And, um, and certainly getting the right group to do it because that's, that's half of it or more than half, maybe that 90% of it is having the right people with you as collaborators on the yeah. journey. Sure. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your background, where you come from? I'm from New York. I mean, I, pr I probably live now, you know, five miles from where I was born. And I live probably less than a mile from where my grandfather was born. So I haven't moved all that much in terms of where I live, but, uh, but I did spend many years traveling around and learning different styles of music in different places. Um, luckily before COVID years, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I started, you know, I started playing music, when I was quite young, uh, but I, I started the clarinet around seven. And then I uh, I started composing. My, my grandmother had this very beat up piano that she managed to get from one of her relatives who didn't need it anymore. When it was, it was it almost didn't play, but it was, it played just enough that when, when she got this, 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 you know, upright, she 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 got it to her house and and that was maybe the greatest gift I ever got when I was about eleven and I immediately started composing and improvising and actually uh, you mentioned the Thelonious Monk poster back there but Monk was really one of my first inspirations 
and one of the first composers that I spent a lot of time listening to and trying to take the, the music right off the record. At that time, there were records. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, I really owe a great debt to Thelonious Monk, as well as many other composers, of course. When I was young, I just soaked up a lot of stuff. And then I, um, you know, then I kind of, I don't know, I, I, I was not sure really what I wanted to do uh, necessarily. I, I, I thought I'd end up in music, but I was teaching kids. You know, I, I worked a lot of odd jobs in the years after college. And then I, I traveled to Jerusalem to study composition there uh, and ethnomusicology with a wonderful teacher named Andre Haidu. And after that, I came back to the States. I was teaching kids in a gospel choir and like running an African drum ensemble. I mean, I was doing these things that were a little bit like I would, I would get some knowledge by studying with teachers and then I would apply it when I had a teaching gig, you know. And then I eventually applied to University of Michigan and I was, I was lucky to get in. And then I went to study with William Balcom there, who was my teacher for several years, William Balcom and Albright, those were my two teachers, Bill Albright, who was an organist also. Uh, and they had studied in Europe and they, you know, that was a much more sophisticated kind of uh, teaching that I got there at Michigan. Um, then at, when I was an undergrad at Yale, I was singing in an acapella group and doing all kinds of playing in rock bands and things like that. Um, then I went to Europe and studied with uh, two composers there, which was very also, uh, important for me uh, from a philosophical standpoint, I think. Uh, one was Louis Andreessen um, in Holland and the other was Henri Dutilleux in Paris. And I would go back and forth on the train between those two places. So uh, so those years were pretty important for me. Um, and uh, yeah, then I came to New York and just kind of became a freelancer and was right. playing a lot and working odd jobs and composing. That's fascinating, though. That you you start off by saying you live five miles from where you were born and where your family was from, and yet you've got such an eclectic um, experience of musicians around the world. So it, it's it belies that original statement, I guess. Well, I think it's because I was always the type of musician that if I wanted to learn a style, I wanted to get my hands on it. Like I wanted to learn how to play it. So. As an American, having grown up playing a lot of jazz, a lot of classical music, the mystery was African music because that was like the other side of American music. Because I knew about a lot of the European side um, from the clarinet playing that I did. I played a lot of French music, you know, a lot of concerti. Um, but I didn't know the side of jazz that was coming from African music. I didn't understand that what that was exactly. And so to get deeper into that, I, I decided to try to save up my money and go. And so there was one point when I had saved up a few thousand dollars and I thought, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to go. And I went to Ghana and I studied the xylophone. I spent about four months in a village uh, just studying xylophone there with, with traditional xylophone in the Northwest of Ghana near Burkina Faso. Then I went up into Burkina Faso a little bit, uh, came back with malaria and dysentery. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it was kind of unavoidable at the time, but that was about 30 years ago. Now I think about it, it was the summer of 1992. And, um, and after that, I went to Brazil, I went to Ireland, I went to Bulgaria to study these different styles, but I was always 
drawn by my ear to a particular style. And I thought, I want to learn that. It wasn't just random. It would always be I was attracted to a kind of music and I wanted to learn how it was made from the inside, learn the rules by playing it, you know? So that's kind of what I did. I just apprenticed with people kind of hung around and tried to tried to play. Right, which is why this album in particular is, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to classify into a, a specific genre or a specific type, which is lovely because it's, it weaves its way through all sorts of different things, rhythmically and melodically and harmonically and everything. So it's just, it's a fascinating, fascinating album. I've really enjoyed listening to it and really kind of trying to get my head around the different, where you were coming from it, which is just great. So, so thank you. Why did the Brits, why did the Brits like this album so much? I mean, I actually I'm half British because my dad was British. He was a oh. playwright um, and he was from London from the south side of London, uh, Stepney. You know. oh, okay. Where are you from? Uh, Hertfordshire, just north of London, actually. Oh, okay. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Stepney is is East London, really, I think. Not yeah, south, East, but, yeah. 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 Yeah, kind of, yeah. Near yeah. the Armoury, he was from right. Woolwich. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, well, that's, yeah. Very good. Excellent. It was bombed during the war. I mean, his whole neighbourhood was bombed. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, that, that part of the world was decimated. It has now been regenerated, and it's now a very fancy, very expensive place to live. He probably, you know, you you probably couldn't afford to live there. Do you know what I mean? It's that, it's that kind of, like, really fancy. <laughs> I can't even afford to live in Brooklyn anymore, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh, listen, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Derek. It's been lovely. Oh, you too, yeah. Uh, and thanks for, you know having your ears in that place you know i really appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of harmonious world and that was derek burmel what you're listening to now is Ritonello. It was originally commissioned for the Albany Symphony Orchestra. This is the version for electric guitar and string quartet. And this includes electric guitarist Week Hymans and the Jack Quartet. Thank you for joining me for Harmonious World once more. And please do click on the show notes and have a look at Derek's website and see where if you're in the States where you can see some of his music being performed and also do have a look at the subscribers channel to see whether that's something that you'd be interested in and you'll definitely get bonus bits so thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World and this really is about trying to make the world a little more harmonious So I hope you have a great week and I will see you soon.
thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>